We hear you. We're here for you. We stand firm and unwavering when we say Black Lives Matter. Recording in progress. Welcome to the Truth to Power Show on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm your host, VJR Nathan. And um, this is our special guest, Julian Matthews. Um, Julian Matthews is a writer expressing himself in the pandemic through poetry, short stories, and essays. He published in the uh, American Journal of Poetry, Borderless Journal, Beltway Poetry Quarterly, The New Verse News, Autumn Sky Poetry Daily, uh, Nine Cloud Journal, which I'm the um, editor of, Lothornal Poetry Journal, among others. He's a minority based in Malaysia. Prior to creative writing, he was a media trainer and journalist. Welcome, Julian. Hi. Hi, hi. So how are you doing today? Um, you're calling in from Malaysia, right? We're, we're, tell us a little bit about where you're calling in from. Yeah, I'm calling in from Malaysia. It's about 11 p.m. right now. In, uh, I'm in a neighborhood where there are a lot of people who like to celebrate the uh, festivals that happen here almost regularly every two or three months and the one that's coming up is uh uh hari raya we call it yeah but i think you it's known over there as ramadan no no yeah yeah of course of course yeah, yeah so the, the fireworks going off in my neighborhood oh, right nice, nice. it sounds like explosions <laughs> yeah. is it is this the uh, end of ramadan or is this still is this uh, yeah the uh, I think it's going to be on May third or May second, oh, okay. uh, first year, Raya. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Good. Good. So why don't we start the conversation? I was just telling us a little bit about you as a writer and and where, what your themes are, which what things that kind of um, return in your work, and then later on maybe we'll get a chance to listen to a little bit from your work. But uh, for now, we'll just talk a little bit about like what themes come up in your work and what ideas you return to. Oh, so, okay. So I've been doing creative writing only in the last five years. Uh, started, uh, with poetry and then I joined a couple of workshops on short, uh, short story writing and fiction. And so I've been doing a few of those. So uh, prior to this, I was a journalist for about 15 years. Uh, and also a, a trainer for about 15 equal number of years. Yeah, yeah, and tell us a little bit about your journalism career then. How did that? How did how did that uh, pan out? Oh, so um, as a teenager, I used to enjoy reading newspapers and participating in contests in uh, the newspapers. And at some point, I uh, uh, was asked to write about the fact that we had cycled around the country, Peninsula Malaysia, from north to south, when I was only about 20, 20 years old. And that started my journalism career, first as a freelancer, then a full-timer, writing on everything from politics to crime for the leading newspaper here still, which is The Star. Yeah, And then uh, I was there for close to three years. And then after that, I began writing for uh, travel magazines and then business magazines. And then I found my niche in writing about technology and business for close to 15 years for a number of publications, um, including being the Malaysian correspondent for CNET and ZDNet, uh, which were very popular technology publications during the high of the dot-com years. 
Mm. Yeah. At some point in time after that, I moved on to training. I saw there was a gap between PR and uh, journalism and journalists. So I started training people on the PR side about media. And then from there, I started training companies, CEOs, C-suite level, and how to face the media, how to conduct interviews such as these, such yeah. as this one. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, from there, uh, uh, in the last two years, uh, what has accelerated is my interest back in writing creatively in terms of poetry and fiction. Yeah. yeah, and also memoir writing, I believe you also do some writing in memoir. Is that true? Yeah, so part of the workshops I attended was uh, to revisit, to find material. And part of finding material is to dig deep into your childhood and start writing about things that you remember from your childhood. Yeah. And then use that as a platform or take off to write fiction and poetry. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, also, one of the things in your pre-interview because uh, we gave some pre-interview questions, you're talking about crisis communication in regards to facing the media. You're discussing uh, training C-level executives on uh, dealing with the media, but specifically on crisis communication. That was interesting to me. And, and tell us a little bit about like what's involved with crisis communication as opposed to um, normal, uh, as opposed to like day of the mill, you know, daily communication. Yeah. I think you will see that almost every company faces a crisis at some point in time. So the idea was to prepare the spokespeople for these companies on how to speak to the media specifically, mm. not not in uh, not in managing the crisis, but in managing their media messaging when they speak to the media. And I noticed that um, uh, a lot of companies, when they are faced with the cameras during a crisis, it's just that particular time when they fail, they fail to look honest, they fail to look credible, they fail to address the crisis at hand. Uh, so our idea was to just help these companies and in that sense also help uh, the media on the other side to get their messaging clear because sometimes the media would be running around trying to get somebody to speak about the crisis and find that uh, no one really has the the credible messaging to provide them that would go into a headline. Yeah, it's interesting since, um, <clears throat> you know, the show is called The Truth to Power Show, and we think about um, when I asked you was the uh, something you consider an essential truth that you believe is undervalued by society, and you said honesty. Yeah, it's interesting since, uh, you know, a lot of times it, in this kind of context, we think about spin, we think about spinning things and spinning the message and and trying to mm. present yourself in the best possible light, even if that means on some level just being dishonest. So I think honesty is very important to, especially in, in these kinds of um, interactions where we're, we're kind of in crisis. We're trying to be honest. We're trying to give the, the, the straight. But at the same time, you know, media companies sometimes spin things, you know. What's your take on that? Yeah, I think what has happened in the last uh, couple of uh, decades is uh, we have uh, media that is uh, uh, 24 by 7 now more mm. than ever and needing to break stories uh, faster than traditional media. So they are willing to take the risk of being uh, speculative at some point mm. or editorializing or providing opinions when they should just be providing facts. Yeah. And uh, the other thing that's huge that's happened is... Uh, the democratization of uh, 
everything, right? You have phones that can, people with phones who can play or be journalists at some level without the training, without the understanding of uh, what what facts need to be uh, held, held back if they are not really proven yet and what needs to be said to the public. So all, all that is uh, changed the, the, the landscape. Uh, I think in the early days, people were asking whether blogging, whether a blogger is a journalist. Not when they should be asking the question whether journalism now has expanded to include blogging as part of its uh, uh, armory to, to convey the truth to the public. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I mean, definitely that, that brings along with it some of the cynicism you were saying. Like, you know, in, in when I think about the civic threshold, um, civic thresholds that might have influenced you, you were saying about uh, being cynical and journalism eventually become cynical of governments, elected leaders, and the and the selfishness of certain parties. Um, it's interesting when you think about the spin and think about the the tendency towards misrepresentation. Like a lot of times, in, and you, especially in American government, you know, we have a lot of times you know editorializing, as you're saying. Like Fox News has become notorious for high editorializing. Although all I think all the networks to some degree editorialize, but. Um, you know, Fox News is particularly uh, targeted for heavy editorializing. So, um, yeah, if you see a little bit more about like the cynicism and and how that how you overcame that to um, move into creative writing and kind of maybe how they how they're intertwined. So, uh, so the cynicism, I guess, comes as part of being uh, in any one industry for too long. Mm. You become skeptical and you start off being a journalist. You, you want to change the world. And when you end up in journalism, just want to change yourself. <laughs> yeah. You, you find it really difficult. You want to write an entire book of a country. And then when you enter the country and see what's going on, you can only write a chapter. And at, at the end of the day, when after five years of being in the country, writing about the country, its government, its uh, leadership, uh, its people, what's going on, its democracy, the way it's practiced. You could find yourself only maybe writing a page. <laughs> mm. Yeah. So moving into creative writing was just me trying to go back to find my what I liked as a child and why. And it allows me to have more space in the sense that whatever I write is my truth. Uh, I, it's up to you how to interpret a poem or a piece of fiction, what metaphors you find that affect you, what is the messaging or the conclusion that you find. And each of us finds different things in in different uh, parts of the, the poem, right? Yeah, and definitely I think that in poetry we have a lot more flexibility with kind of speaking to our own truth and allowing the people to connect, allowing the reader to connect with what they can. Um, you know, mm. kind of leaving it open, open-ended. Whereas I think in journalism, there's a little bit more, you know, a pressure to um, conform to the perceived, um, you know, facts, you know, or something like that. You know, it's like, um, you know, we have to kind of conform the narrative to what best serves the public, what best serves the interests of the of the of the public, rather than the interests of special corporations or special interests or the government even even at the expense of you know um uh certain special interests we have to make sure that we're we're giving the the the, the straight up you know yeah 
I think the pandemic in the last two years has proven that, right? Yeah. There's so many people who would rather believe some guy <laughs> who, yeah. who who just happens to have a doctorate, not even in the medical uh, in the medical field or in any science field. And he goes because he has an audience, because he has following, he can attract people to believe anything he says about whether they should be vaxxed or not vaxxed. You know? Yeah. And we have a whole bunch of people who would who would just agree with him and then use his statements as supposedly facts you know? mm. uh, in in quote marks, you know, because. Uh, this is what's happening, right? I mean, who's to believe? At, at this point in time, what's happening in the media is the war about Ukraine. Yeah. What's happening in the media is, I think it's faded now, is uh, the Will Smith slap. Yeah. What's happening in the media that's still uh, going ongoing is whether Amber Heard is telling the truth or Johnny Depp is telling the truth. I mean, yeah. people, one thing I've noticed is people quickly take sides, which is very strange uh, as a human uh, as a person who who believes in uh, truth and credibility and and uh, listening and wanting to form my opinion only after I've heard all sides, people very quickly take sides based on charisma, mm. based on personality, based on an actor they've seen in five pirates, four Pirates of the Caribbean, <laughs> this thing versus. Uh, a person who they they know less, you know, who's maybe less popular, or who was only in a few movies that they watched. It's it's kind of bizarre, I think, that people have have become this way, you know, very quickly taking sides and very quickly being boxed. I notice this is what happens in U.S. media, or when I read anything that comes out of uh, social media that is U.S. based, it seems that. Oh, you're Republican. Oh, you're you're conservative. Oh, you're Democrat. Oh, you're you're right or you're left or you're this or you're that, and quickly wanting to box something just based on one tweet yeah. <laughs> or one Facebook post, which I find so bizarre. I think uh, humanity is not so cut and dry. Uh, it's not so black and white. Every human is so unique and special in their own ways, right? And to to call it as you see it so quickly without uh, reflecting. And this is what poetry, I believe, what fiction does, right? It helps you reflect a little bit, you know, it ha helps you sit back and think, oh, I never saw it that way, you know? Oh, maybe I should, I should uh, not just hang out with the people who are uh, in the choir with me. <laughs> maybe I should go to the, the church next door and see what's going on, you know? <laughs> How come people are coming to this and not that, you know? And why why should I be open to it? Right. So that's what that's where I'm coming from. No, totally, totally. And I think that when it comes to social media, there's been a lot of polarization in uh, you know, kind of finding echo chambers, you know, finding these kinds of um, you know, resonance with with what, what things that you already believe, confirmation bias, you know, where you we mm -hmm. already believe something and then you're just going out there trying to find something that agrees with you. It's very easy to find people who agree with you since there's this um there's so much there's so many sub outlets and sub communities and 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 uh communities within communities that will find the page whatever you believe you know find a resonance with someone but it, to what extent are we investigating truth to what extent are we kind of um truly going out there and challenging ourselves to find opinions that differ and and find contestations so that then we can you know uh find a synth synergy a synthesis you know, thesis and antithesis will find a synthesis so that then we'll be able to 
understand better our own position as well as the opposing position rather than just amplify our own position. So talking about social media and, and it's, um, I believe you used to teach social media or teach how to handle social media. Yeah, so a lot of uh, companies had, uh, were wondering about how they should have a strategy to address their, their, their customers, the, their public through social media channels when it first came up, right? So what they were, a lot of the senior or older people were thinking, oh, this wave will just go by of, and uh, I'll be retired and gone by the time <laughs> I'll have to learn how to tweet, right? Uh, so this has changed so dramatically in the last two decades, right? So almost everybody entering any company has to have some social media credentials, has to understand what is personal versus what is corporate, has to understand how to use it. Uh, and if they aren't, uh, then they should, they will be at a disadvantage. So what we were doing first at first, we were training journalists to move from print to online because we were writing about technology, how it was affecting all other professions. And we knew it was eventually gonna hit journalism hard, right? And everybody could see that, everybody knew that, but people were not still taking it seriously. Right? And we've seen it, right? We've seen small newspapers shut down. We've seen big newspapers struggling with advertising. We've seen, uh, the media lose its uh, credibility completely, even though there's more trust still now today in surveys, traditional media versus social media. But we've seen whole groups of subscribers just stop subscribing and move to to online media. On one hand, it was great. It was superb. Disabled people could, who had never had access to worldwide media were able to. People who are disenfranchised, people who are voiceless, finally found a voice. They could have followers on Twitter or at that time it was just blogging or uh, on right now on TikTok or, or, or any other new forms of media. They could find their audience and they could reach out to people to, to they could activate people for causes that matter to them. And this is huge. I think there's so much positive things that have come out of media. Yeah. So in my training in the last uh, uh, the, the 15 years that I was doing it was trying to get people on board, then trying to understand it, then trying to use it. But of course, this has changed in the last few years. Uh, this, this has completely changed in uh, during the Trump years and during where he has promoted the idea of fake news and he's promoted the idea of uh, that don't trust anybody, right? right? Almost going back to what? what it was in the 70s when they, when the, the rally call was don't trust anybody above 30, right? Mm. It's become so strange. So should we now trust everybody who's an influencer? The Kardashians, should we trust? Who do we trust? It's, it's become very, for younger people, the role models have become very skewered and uh, very strange. So social media in some sense has been good, but in uh, another sense, uh, we have huge corporations now knowing how to make money through algorithms and and skewering the news just towards memes so that and retaining people on their websites in very sophisticated ways and uh, and uh, exploiting attention to some level. Mm. That, that's pretty scary. 
Yeah, yeah. And there's been lots of positives. You're saying like a lot of the revolutions have happened, you know, because of the fact that they're able to communicate their interests to the public, um, communicate via Twitter or via um, various social medias. But it's interesting when, you know, Twitter became hijacked by, for time, by Trump's, um, uh, you know, kind of, and then he got kicked off Twitter. But, um, but now, you know, Elon Musk seems to try to, to buy it perhaps with the intention of putting back that kind of a, um, you know, kind of a dialogue on Twitter. Who knows what his intentions are? I mean, who knows? I don't really understand why he's suddenly trying to buy out Twitter, but or at least he's proclaiming he wants to. Um, do you have any thoughts on that or how, like, um, what his argument basically was that, you know, he'll allow more free speech, I think is what he was saying, right? But what is that, what is that, what is that hidden agenda there, right? Mm. Yeah, so the, the question of whether what speech is, whether it's a responsible kind of speech or pre, if you are, you really promote free speech, then you should have Trump back on that. Mm. Not that I'm saying he should, but but he's always entitled to go and build his own social media, right? And yeah. I don't know how that. So um, I think people have be, some people have become, I sense some people have become very skeptical of anybody, whether they are in power or they are money or whether they are billionaires. We've seen the uh, backlash towards uh, Bill Gates ever since the pandemic and the idea of vaccinating everybody came back, mm. came out. And in fact, if, even the, the most, uh, the one who has the best uh, public relations, uh, Warren uh, Buffett, who in all senses seems to have all, only positive media, even him, he is getting some backlash now, yeah. right? And uh, so, and I find all these, I think people are looking again for role models, looking for uh, people to look up to. Uh, they're looking for people who can uh, reflect their, their issues and it's not happening, right? Mm. We've seen the, the, what has happened is we've seen when we, we look towards stars, look towards influencers, we look towards people who are getting the most publicity. A lot of them suddenly can just lose their 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 whatever positive gains they had over year over the years in in one instance in one crisis in one divorce in one uh, in one uh, court case in one slap <laughs> yeah. in one uh, we, we've seen just one incident magnified to huge proportions yeah uh, all across media and suddenly all that media is saying the same thing to people and people start to lose trust in and faith in all forms of institutions, all forms of uh, all forms of uh, this um, hero 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 worshiping. I would call it. Yeah, celebrity culture, right? Up, yeah, celebrity culture was another way. Some sort of a Marvel movie. Yeah, <laughs> maybe we've had twenty of those, and it's been too much <laughs> <laughs> because now people only think in that their heroes can't kill anybody without any consequence. Yeah. You know, you can order Hulk to to hold someone and smash him left and right and, and nobody dies <laughs> because they're supposedly gods. Huh. Right? And 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 the villains are very clear and the villains sometimes become heroes to them. You know, I'm very I find it very peculiar that small kids dress up as Darth Vader and 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 uh, and and 
rather take the side of the villain rather than the hero. So nothing's very clear now. It's become very blurred because of social media in a sense. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. I think that even back in the day, we had the mythologies with the storytellers who were telling the stories of the gods. And, and now we have these superhero comic books in the Marvel uh, universe that is trying to, you know, and even before that, like shows like 24 were like this one guy against the whole terrorism, you know, like, you know, this one, this one man was supposedly, you know, holding the fort, but for the, for the entire anti-terrorism unit. Um, so there's a little, little magnification of one or two people as being like outside thinkers rather than, you know, believe in institutions, you know, rather than like the, the emphasis has always been on individual overcoming the, the mass government, the mass conspiracy government rather than, you know, the government being a trustworthy, um, institution, you know? Yeah. So there's always yeah, I think, like, uh, yeah, go ahead. I think all that, yeah, it's become quite bizarre to, uh, I, I, if you have children, do you have children, Vijay? No, no. Yeah. So if you bring up children, you, you're really trying to find a fine line where you can help them or, or promote them or lead them or guide them towards, uh, what values we had as we grew up. We grew up with three channels at 40 minutes, yeah. Little House on the Prairie yeah. or the Waltons would nicely wrap up at the end and every, every and it had a good ending, right? Uh. But now we watch media, uh, we watch, we binge on Netflix and uh, a teacher, for instance, a teacher who was uh, in our culture was so respected, the kind of person you want to look up to now can make drugs in his backyard. <laughs> yeah, breaking bad, right? <laughs> and go on to be yeah. a drug distributor. And yeah. everybody's cool with that. Yeah. yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. Now, Breaking Bad definitely was an interesting show. It was very, very well written, but, you know, at the same time, we think about the messaging of, of shows in general and what, what kind of, uh, zeitgeist are we hitting, uh, culturally? Uh, you know, what kind of shows are, are magnified by the culture and what kind of shows are, are not magnified and, and, and falling away. And I definitely think that there's something to be said for popular shows and, and what, what is it, what kind of reflection our cultural psyche is that making? Yeah. Yeah, no, I think what happened was we lost the person sitting next to you and watching the same program. Yeah. Right? That too. So yeah. even yeah. if something went down that was, you know, inappropriate or above or beyond something, if it was uh, uh, something so real, yet you, you needed some advice on it, uh, if a person is watching a movie or a... For instance, if you watch Godfather... And we came back in the 70s and asked our father, uh, is it okay to start killing people as a, <laughs> as a, as a drug dealer? <laughs> oh, yeah. it's all about family, you know? Now we watch them watch t 10, 10 uh, back to back shows about cars flying and, oh, it's all about family, you know? Yeah. It's okay to break the law because it's all about family. Uh, fast and so fierce, now, right? Yeah. You can binge watch that. Yeah. And nobody, only your peers are going to tell you, hey, that's okay. That's <laughs> fine. Nobody is going to tell you what's right or wrong, right? Yeah. You know, no, I mean, definitely, I think, there's something we said about the, the psyche in, in regards to fantasy and reality. Like, you know, what, what kind of, what are we fantasizing about is something interesting to talk about rather than thinking of in terms of reality, in terms of like, um, you know, whether or not that'll translate into reality is different, one thing. But, um, you know, definitely it's interesting to think about what are, what are we dreaming about? What are we fantasizing about? What are we, 
what do we wish would happen and in the in the Hollywood and how it's a reflection of the cultural psyche is something interesting to think about. Like when we watch a movie, thinking about well, what are the what are the values? What are the um, what are the messaging? And how is that a reflection of our our fantasy of our id, if you will, uh, our kind of impulse, dark impulses that come up within us? You know, so it's interesting. Yeah, but it's always I'm not against movie. creativity. I'm not against yeah, creativity. Course. I think. What has happened is brilliant, right? Everything that's happened, all the movies and the books and the series that we see is the outflowing of uh, creativity. I think is amazing. There's so many stories to tell mm. right now than ever before. The thing is, whether the, the stories we're telling is uh, a reflection of what's happening in reality, and it is. Mm. Sadly, in some, 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 some people actually believe that to a point where it becomes reality for them, yeah. right? Right, it's okay to go out and do this because it was okay to when I saw it, binge watching uh, this whole series, this whole mm-hmm. bunch of movies. You know, so I'm not going to get caught. Yeah, you know, there aren't there aren't any consequences to my violence. Yeah, no, right? definitely, I think there's yeah, because, an element to that. Although I, I think like we do, we're able to separate like the fantasy, but the the deeper fantasy is that, you know, in my opinion, the deeper fantasy is the individual being persecuted by this larger systems, you know, that, that that's really the, the underlying, you know, um, reality there that, you know, it, which has become evident in the pandemic, you know, the fact that people feel like their freedom to not wear a mask, their freedom to not get vaccinated or is actually perpetrated by this conspiracy around, you know, uh, people, me- the messaging is not being honest. So that's ultimately mm-hmm. all these TV shows seem to amplify the idea that the individual knows best and there's no trust in institutions. So, I mean, I, you know, it's, it's difficult because, you know, we're, we're heavily influenced by that messaging. So it's difficult to even to separate that to be like, you know, I mean, on the one hand, I do agree that, you know, one knows best for one's own body and all that kind of thing. And I'm a, I'm a pro-choice and reproductive rights advocate. Um, but at the same time, I don't know whether that translates into, you know, infectious diseases. I don't know. It's something that I have to really investigate, like whether or not, you know, like you're you're perpetrating, you know, I don't, know, I don't know. Science has to be investigated continuously by individuals. I mean, not just I'm not just by scientists, but I mean, individuals have to constantly, you know, keep themselves in touch with and, and have trust in these institutions. I don't know. I just, but again, trust is earned. I don't know. But um I think one of the things we see uh, more so than ever in the pandemic, how many people are reaching out to get um, therapy, uh, you know, the mental health issues that are going Mm -hmm. on now. In my country alone, there's uh, suicide suicide rates have gone up. Domestic violence has gone up as a result of the pandemic and the Mm -hmm. lockdown. Uh, A lot of, when I go on a poetry Zoom meet, uh, the other day, we started talking about after a poem about mental health, and three of them said they are in therapy and they are in uh, they are in their twenties. And I thought, when I was in my twenties, this wasn't, <laughs> you know. And then when you go deeper, some of them say they come from broken families. They are already in uh, the fa- fathers in a second marriage, yeah. you know. And these are so common now. So if if you didn't, or the father has left them, or the father figure is not there, or the or the mother figure has left them, you know. So you don't have the same structures that we had when we were growing up, uh, coming from 
uh, I mean, perhaps, perhaps less conservative, but I'm mean, more conservative, but uh, the issues were not so in your face, right? Mm. So now it's all in your face, plus the media, plus the messaging that you're using, and plus what information you are putting out on your social media mm. and how your peers in social media are, are reflecting that to you. So all that seems to be happening. Sorry if I sound like I'm mirroring you in there. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's interesting to think about. It's, it's something definitely to bring up in the Truth to Power show and you know, thinking about, thinking about uh, questioning the underlying premises upon which we, you know, we're, we're kind of oblivious to the ideas of, you know, the, the media's messaging us, the, the, um, internet's messaging us. They're all kind of reinforcing certain, um, strains of thought within ourselves and being aware of that. Awareness is very important and being aware of what messaging are we receiving and when. But, uh, I do want to give you a chance to read a little bit from your writing. Uh, if you have any writing on hand and if you'd like to read a little bit. Uh, and then we can get a chance to discuss that a little bit. Yeah. If you, if you have that, uh, nine cloud journal essay as well, that'd be great. That is the one that, um, won the editor's prize. If you'd like to read that or if you'd like to read something else is up to you. Oh, I had one prepared. So yeah, sure, this sure. Is about, so in Malaysia, uh, when you fill up a government form or a census form, uh, during my time, they had only four boxes to take. So the four boxes taken under race would be Malay, which is majority, Chinese, which is the uh, minority, which maybe comprise 20% of the population, uh, Indian, uh, which comprises less than 10% of the population, or nine, or right now nine or 8%. And then there was the last box, which would say other. So that last box, uh, in Malay would be line line. So we have about 60 ethnic and indigenous groups put into that box. <laughs> All right. And if you came from a mixed background or biracial background, you would wonder which box to tick because you wouldn't agree with the first three, especially if you're biracial or your, your family comes from, is blended and mixed. Right. So this poem is called other, uh, it's about three and a half minutes long. Is that okay? Sure. Sure. So the, yeah, it should be okay. Other, line, line. As a schoolboy, I was always asked what mix I was, as if I were ingredients to make a cake pie, as if I were eggs that needed to be separated into yellows and whites. For better or worse, then I would say I'm half-baked or stengah masak. Like the two half-boiled eggs my Anglophile Holy Ceylonese father ate ritually every morning, made faithfully by his Chinese-born Indian adopted wife and served with white salt, black pepper, and brown toast. White, yellow, brown, or black. Color, mix, race, boxes to tick. Why didn't we have more choices like the Luna 12-color pencil boxes we had? or the 64 color boxes that my rich friends had that I so envied. Cause I was told I was not Malay, Chinese, nor Indian. And even though the teacher insisted Ceylonese should be classified under Indian, I refused to play the game. And why was my mother's composition not in the equation? When it comes to race, Chegu, jangan main main. Don't teacher, don't play play. I would rather be tagged line line others. Not as a badge of shame, but to show that under this brick skin, we are same, same. 
after all isn't lying lying just an anagram for kneel kneel like the two in the cross i'd rather be a martyr than for all those who are lost and if they crucified me for it maybe it would start a religion that a billion others profess to and the line line gospels wouldn't be written only by four men it would have a billion godless spells written by every man woman and every gender in between every page verse and chapter would not be just in black ink on white paper but a psychedelic rainbow reflecting nothing anyone has ever heard or seen before we are all from the same dna so why do you label me as another do our mothers and fathers deserve to be called others i would call you sister or brother or any pronoun you wish to be you see it really doesn't matter to me i only see what i see do you see me too so tell me again what color are your fears what race are your tears what religion is your blood what language are your hopes what ancestry breeding caste descent extraction pedigree parentage background status do i have to be to call you my friend and what will it take for you to identify me as human because when they made line line they just didn't break the mold they broke the yolk and mixed in white salt and black pepper and dip brown toast in it and it was whole meal fully organic naturally delicious take it or leaven it we may decline to be defined by tiny boxes you tick on and we may pay the price because we don't conform but at least we know we are our own yes i am the other we are all others instead of other can you just reach out shake my hand and call me brother and poem thank you thank you thank you beautiful i think it's really interesting um meditation on uh identity and you know a really great uh really great way into the conversation about identity and one's own understanding of oneself understanding oneself contextually in the society how society tries to define us and how we're receiving that again reinforcing that messaging that you know kind of reflecting of society's messaging around certain identities um and without we buy into that and to what extent can we buy out of it to what extent can we even opt out of you know the society's um determinations you know it's easy to say you know oh well i'm not going to buy into that narrative but we live in a society and you know a lot of times there's a lot of pressure in that society to buy into their narrative it, it, violence even is sometimes the the result of not buying into their narrative you know so when people say you know um certain messaging around racial identities or even gender identities sexual orientation identities um you know when when you don't buy into it sometimes violence is the result you know like they people just can't process that and we've seen that over and over again in in uh history um cuz one of the answers to your question i remember uh it was very interesting when we asked when i asked um about um um what has been your most valuable failures thus far and he said not knowing who i am really it was a really interesting answer to that question um can you elaborate a little bit more on that or how's that a failure how's that uh how do you contextualize that um you know who are you really or how do you understand that yeah so a lot of us define ourselves from uh, our parents our upbringing uh, teachers the role models we had the schools we identify with the schools we went to 
So uh, along the way, I, I I just started trying to fit myself because being biracial, being neither here nor there, uh, wanting to fit within somebody's idea of what who I am. And after a long career now, I realized that uh, I find such joy in reading poetry, especially during the pandemic, where where such things, uh, some lines of this nature become blurred, where there are no boxes to tick, where where everybody paints outside the box, where where some some words can have not one or two, but three meanings or four meanings. A metaphor can be mean different things to different people. So this othering that I experienced all my life being in a multiracial country, although uh, we say we are living in harmony and this is beautiful and all that, but underlying that almost in every country I've been in, in this country as well, there is a lot of uh, 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 represent, uh, underrepresented values. There's a lot of, uh, shall, I, shall I call it, I don't even want to use the word racism on it. Uh, uh, it's like people not appreciating each other because they don't empathize, you know, and poetry opens that door. It allows you, once you understand another person, where he's coming from, you start to empathize with them because you've never heard that message come from anybody except this person. And that person often is speaking their truth. So, so, I think that has helped me try to discover who I am, right? So in the last, uh, in, when I was in journalism, almost always, uh, very sadly, I think it's still reflected in a lot of uh, kind of professions where it's associated with going to have a beer after work, right? <laughs> Just because you want the camaraderie and be part of the crew and be part of the ship and, you know, you don't want to rock the boat. And so everybody starts to have a few beers and a few beers leads to alcoholism in the end mm. or, or heavily smoking at that time. I remember the editorial floor used to be covered with smoke when, yeah. when it was close to deadline at four or five o'clock because everybody was so stressed and yeah. they allowed us to smoke inside the office. Of course, all that has changed now. Mm. Yeah. People are more aware. You actually have bars that are, don't serve any alcoholic drinks. So that's that's there's a change there. And a lot of young people don't drink as a, as a social thing. Of course, they do worse things. Uh-huh. <laughs> they take drugs and stuff like that. Yeah. But so drink the drinking culture seems to have changed somewhat, right? So when I stopped drinking about four years ago, I, I think the fog of that lifted for me. The socializing also, who am I drinking with and for what? You know? And why am I presenting myself in a way where I'm a little tipsy, a little happy. I was a happy drunk, <laughs> a little tipsy, a little happy. And I was the sort of the uh, instigator and uh, the communicator of humor. Right? And I should be channeling this into something more positive. So when I started taking to the stage to do poetry, a lot of it was comedy. So I did comedy for some uh, while to understand that side of the the stage world and then and then now poetry has uh, been my mainstay it's an interesting thing to to shift from that and when you stop taking the drug that uh, is feeding your addiction you find more positive addictions so, and that's helpful so you know you you find there is 
there is a high in being alone in writing by yourself which you always enjoyed as a child anyway which i always enjoyed as a child and creating these worlds these universes sometimes my poems are quite surreal they don't they're not very uh, fact based they can take you in any direction you want they can be fictionalized they can be science fiction right so i think that's interesting and if some other person even if one person if i have five or six people in a in a in a room full enjoying it i'm quite happy if i get one person who says hey that line that's really useful to me it makes sense to me i can really relate to that i think that's far more uh, impactful for me as a human now at the late stage in the last one third of my life more so than than the the previous two thirds Yeah, and also to comment a little bit on addiction because you know a lot of times people think about addiction in terms of the standard, you know, like um, you know, people think in terms of alcohol or drugs and but there's lots of different kinds of addiction. We're addicted to, you know, even like uh Gabor Mate was talking about addicted to stress, you know, addicted to the the highs that stress can bring and and uh, he talks a lot about addiction in terms of non-traditional addictions, um, you know, like um addiction just to um you know the, the workaholism uh you know this mm. kind of thing and and how we use that as a supplement for actual satisfaction actual communication we're relying or or using it as a crutch uh workaholism or you know kind of over overly indulging in professional life as opposed to getting in touch with our emotions and understanding how all this is affecting us and there's so many ways in which we can use crutches instead of directly confronting the emotional life of a uh, of the psyche you know we can use a crutch yeah. to try to give a quick fix or quick high as opposed to mm-hmm. a really dealing with the substance of our lives you know so yeah. i think it's definitely said that we're all kind of addicts in a way and we're all kind of yeah. suffering a recovery uh, it's not just uh mm-hmm. not just people who um indulge with alcohol or or, or drugs but we're all kind of and that may be one aspect to it but we're all kind of, you know, uh not above that. You know, we're all kind of in that mix. I think the um, uh, pandemic has amplified that, especially when people completely had a huge shift, uh, not going to work and not socializing with mm. your workmates and suddenly being at home and just in front of your computer on Zoom. Mm. You know, and uh people who lost their jobs now or people who now although they're returning to offices don't want to go back to the offices mm. right <laughs> or people who are who were at home and then having the stresses of the family at home with them you know either that was good for some families or that was bad for some families so i think the pandemic has amplified uh everybody's uh, search for the identity everybody lo- looking in the mirror and say hey, why have i been doing this for the past 15 years mm. <laughs> when i should be spending time with my family <laughs> right well, i missed out on this and this and this you know yeah just because i needed to to please uh, some boss for the quarter that year so i think that has changed for a lot of people there's uh, of course some people have just been sitting in front and watching netflix all day long and binging on stuff that they shouldn't be binging on but uh yeah so i think it's a re- good time for reflection and now that we are coming out of it uh there has been some change i see i see changes in people which is which is amazing and it's brilliant and great because they're finding their true cause or or finding their legacy and what they want to leave behind especially older people mm-hmm. 
uh, you know, who are in their one third of their their last one third of their lives. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely, definitely. And uh, mm-hmm. also, my list is they can go to nightclubjournal.org to find your under spotlight. Um, Julian Matthews, edit, editor's prize winner. Um, the the poem uh, that we published in the uh, I believe the first issue of Nine Cloud Journal. Um, or was the second? I think it was the second. I remember now. Second issue. Yeah. Second, yeah, second yeah, thanks issue. for that. Yeah. 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 So it was really great. Yeah. It great was poem. called the Well. Yeah. The Well. Yeah. It was a really yeah. great poem. So people can look that up um, if yeah. they'd like um, to find out a little bit more. And and where where else can we find out about you? Where any any website or any particular uh, place would yeah, be? Yeah, you can at? go to uh, Linktree. Linktree is spelled uh, L-I-N-K-T-R dot e slash Julian Matthews. Julian Matthews is spelled with a double T and an S. One word, yeah. Okay, yeah, Julian Matthews. Uh, I can put the link in our archives uh, for people to yeah. call you. But, um, you know, I'll just quickly do some quick announcements before, and then we have still have 10 more minutes. But um, ready for, this has been Radio for Brooklyn's Truth to Power show. Radio for Brooklyn's mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community and promote media literacy, education, and free expression in public art. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. Every dollar helps us to continue to stay on air and allows us to continue our work in the community. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization, so all contributions are tax deductible. Please support the monthly pledge or one-time donation at radiofrebooklyn.org slash donate. If you're an Amazon shopper and would like to donate in a way that costs you nothing, go to radiofrebooklyn.org slash Amazon and register Radio for Brooklyn as your Amazon Smile Charity. Every time you shop, a portion of your, benefit, a portion of your sales will benefit Radio for Brooklyn. If you're listening in front of your computer, free yourself up by listening to our uh, mobile apps on iPhone or Android or on the App Store for iPhone or the Google Play Store for Android. And be sure to subscribe to our monthly newsletter for the latest news about new programming, upcoming RFB events. You can sign up at readyforgood.org slash newsletter. Um, as far as like uh, post-pandemic activities go, if you're eager to um, go out and mingle uh, Radio for Brooklyn is uh, proud to present four amazing bands at an outstanding local venue for an evening of rocking music. Join us on Friday, May 20th at 7.30 for a night with 7th Grade Girl Fight, Dirt Bikes, Barat and Castle Black, and other than Ridgewood's own Bar Frida, 801 Seneca Avenue. Tickets are $10 can be purchased at the venue. Uh, it's Friday, May 20th at 7.30. Uh, Bar Freda, uh, at 801 Seneca Avenue, Ridgewood, New Queens, New York. Uh, it takes $10. So, yeah. So then, um, we have about nine more minutes. Uh, you know, talk a little bit about, uh, returning a little bit to some of our themes of the show has been about journalism, about social media, uh, the, the, uh, kind of, um, uh, pandemic, the post pandemic, um, uh, Zeitgeist we're hitting right now, like kind of slowly emerging out of this and, you know, kind of getting mask free and, you know, kind of like a lot of places now are mask free, although a few, few, uh, few places are still, um, requiring masks, but they seem like more and more we're getting more and more, uh, comfortable. Um, hopefully that, that, that comfort won't be, um, will, will kind of lead us into the next, um, stage. Um, but yeah, so any other thoughts coming out for you as we, as you start to wind down your final thoughts? Um, I think it's exciting that, uh, the things like Zoom, apps like Zoom have uh, opened up spaces for, 
people who had very small voices in only their locality, especially when it comes to poetry now, having access to a wide variety of uh, open mics now to speak to. And for instance, uh, I, I was a, I'm a regular at New Yorkan, New Yorkan Poets Cafe. Mm. And it's on Mondays and Thursdays. They've had two Zoom open mics. And even though they've gone full-time back to opening the place and in-person events, they still allow us from around the world to come and uh, give our three minutes of poetry, which has been a huge shift for them and for a whole bunch of other very small based in from Australia to India to um, I, w- I go to York Spoken Word in Britain regularly once a month, open spaces to hearing voices from Malaysia, from from Singapore, from my part of the world. And uh, I think that's very exciting. It's very exciting that uh, this has opened up and a lot of people should take advantage of it <laughs> because the spaces are starting to close back up again, right? No, totally. It's, it's, it's great that the world has become tighter with um, smaller in some ways because, you know, we're able to connect the flat world and all this kind of thing. We're able to connect so much more than we ever have been. I mean, there's, there's more, less barriers, less, you know, with the Zoom and with the Internet. I mean, of course, it's always been like that. But this zeitgeist with the having regular meetings over Zoom is amazing, like how that opened up so many different mm. uh, platforms uh, for people to express themselves, as you're saying. Um, so it's really great. I think it's something, something that's, um, I know, I, I, that, that kind of puts in danger the whole live event in some ways, because now we all expect some kind of Zoom element, uh, to be, um, incorporated into it. So whenever we have a Zoom, yeah. whenever we have a live event now, we're like expecting some Zoom option, which, uh, has its own kind of con because it's like, you know, to what extent that then everyone has to have a technology guy on hand and, you know, this kind of stuff. It, it brings with it some baggage, but uh, hopefully mm. people can navigate that. You know, venues can navigate that pretty well. Uh, at least so far, it's been going pretty well, yeah. Mm. Yeah, so so a shout out to all the hosts uh, of all these open mics to Advocate of Words who who promotes New York and Poets Cafe and La Bruja, who's now the executive director, brilliant place. Also to all the other hosts of all these open mics, because uh, imagine me, La Vijay, after more than uh, a long career, 25 years, trying to get people online. <laughs> <laughs> then the pandemic happens and everybody's asking me, hey, where do I buy a notebook? Hey, what app do I use? Hey, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I need to get online. What do I need a, a microphone? Uh, what what earphones do I need? You know, yeah. so the pandemic made everybody suddenly embrace technology like they, they never had when I was spending most of my career trying to get them on 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 social media. So <laughs> yeah, so that is completely uh, it's completely bizarre. But it, it needed a world crisis. For people to get on <laughs> and use all the stuff that you and me have been using almost all our lives to connect with people, which is so bizarre for me. It was such a strange thing. Yeah, I'm so happy that it did. I'm so happy now that people have opened themselves up to uh, technology like never before. Yeah, it's a real uh, rebirth of the of the internet because it's like now we're reorienting ourselves in a different way to the internet. 
and has always been present for a long time, but now we're suddenly starting to integrate it more and more into our lives, which, uh, which is interesting because it has so many benefits and, and, and definitely it's something that has opened up the playing field for many people. So it's great. Yeah. Yeah, of course. I mean, years ago, people were just asking, "Hey, Julian, how do I start a blog?" You know, yeah. How do I make mo- how do I make money out of this? You know, Julian, and then yeah. you explain it to them. And now the same, the very same people are, "Hey, Julian, you want to learn about NFT? You want to learn about crypto? <laughs> I'll I'll get you on. I'll tell you how to get it, how to make some money." You know, yeah. These very same people are now uh, completely fully embrace this 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 world and it's it's bizarre for me quite surreal actually yeah so this has been a presentation of the truth of power show in radio for brooklyn um you know we, we air every sunday at 11 a.m uh you can find our archives at radiofrooklyn.org slash truth to power we have about like 210 episodes 211 episodes uh previous to this so you can go ahead and binge listen to a couple of them or i tried to put a show guide up on my personal webpage, vjrnathan.com uh, slash show guide, or you can just go to vjrnathan.com and go to the menu and go to Shoot the Power Show under show guide. Uh, but I have to update those links because uh, we're going to actually change a lot, update their website. So a lot of those links went dead, but I'll, I'll definitely do that soon so that people will be able to go there and find a, a subject guide to the show to figuring out which guests um, perhaps fall under a category that that is interest to you. So I hope people will do that. So thank you so much, Julian, for being here. I'll start to close out now. Thank you so much for being here. And, uh, thank you, Vijay. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. All right. Take care. Yeah. All right. Take care, everyone. Have a good night. Have a good day.